want to read you a passage of scripture from the 10th chapter of Mark. This Sunday we're dedicating, parents are dedicating their children. We do this three or four times a year, and it's always a beautiful and inspiring service. And I want to read a passage of scripture that pertains to this so appropriately, beginning with verse 13. And people were bringing little children to him for him to touch them. But the disciples reproved them for it. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant, not upset, indignant, and said to them, Let the little children come to me and stop keeping them from it, for to such as these the kingdom of God belongs. I solemnly say to you, whoever does not accept the kingdom of God as a little child will never get into it at all. Then he took the little children into his arms, and as he laid his hands upon them one by one, he tenderly blessed them. Well, he doesn't have any hands today but yours to bless them. He doesn't have any hands today but ours as a church to hold them. We're his voice. We're his feet. We're his hands. And whatever our age may be, chronologically, in God's sight, we're just little children. He is from Alpha to Omega. So even some of us who may feel old are in his sight, little children. So let's all of us little children join our hands together as we pray together to our loving Heavenly Father. And dear Lord, we come to pray as your children today that with your loving tender hands you will take up each one of us and bless us. For Lord, we really come here needing to be touched with a fresh new faith fresh new beginning with a new fresh hope for life. Father, remind us that you've forgiven us of all of our sins, that you remember them against us no more, and that you have come to lift us up, to hold us, to heal us, and to help us. And Lord, help us as individuals in the church to be your hands, to read out, reach out and touch, not to hurt, but to help, not to put down, but to lift up, not to cut, but to heal. Oh, God, use us as a congregation and as individuals to touch one another and to touch little children with your loving spirit because we do pray this for ourselves and for them. In Jesus' tender name, amen. I will read your little Peanuts cartoon here. Charlie Brown's talking to Peppermint Patty. She's reclining in that big old chair, you know, in front of the television. And he says, how, how could you not know when Haley's Comet is coming? You did a report on it in school just two weeks ago. You read the report to the whole class. And then she says, I only read the report. I didn't listen to it. 
Oh, my, you know that can happen in church. I can read it. You can hear it. Can we not really listen to it? I want to urge us all to listen today because I do believe God has something fresh to say to us. Looking for some meaning in life, purpose in life. You may have read uh, Morris West's outstanding novel, The Shoes of the Fisherman. came out many years ago. It is a novel about uh, the Roman Catholic Church and the Pope in particular. And there's one event in that book. He has the Pope leave the palace at the Vatican uh, incognito, just dressed like a parish priest with none of the regalia of uh, the church, just a parish priest. But he went with the nurse to the home of a family in a very poor part of Rome where a man was dying. They went there and endeavored to minister to the family, to comfort them, to encourage them, to pray for them, and to pray with them. And then the man died. And the nurse said to the Pope, Your Excellency, we can leave now. The family, of course, not knowing he was the Pope, thought just the parish priest. We can leave now. And he said, well, shouldn't we stay here to comfort? She said, no. They handle death pretty well. It's life they can't handle. What about life? Handle it with care. You only have one chance at it. How is it with you? I heard of a man who said, I'm not nearly as worried about the end of the world as I am the end of the month. I'm just trying to keep it going from day to day and week to week. Well, does God help us do that? Is God concerned about life here on this earth? Is he concerned about our lives, our attitudes, our relationships, our families? Or is he only concerned about getting us to heaven in the sweet by and by? Well, I believe that the Lord wants to get us in heaven in the sweet by and by, but I also know that he wants to be with us now in the dirty here and now. And he will. Let me read you a story. I'm going to tell you two or three stories. One from the Bible and two that could have been in the Bible if they'd still been writing it. I'm reading from the 19th chapter of Luke. Listen to this story. I'm reading from William's translation of the New Testament. Then he went into Jericho and was passing through it. Here there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a tax commissioner, which means that he was a, a head, uh, a man that had a lot of people working for him. He was a chief tax collector. He had people working with him and for him, who was a tax commissioner of the district. And he was a rich man, too. Now he was trying to see Jesus to find out who he was, but he could not because of the crowd, as he was so small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a mulberry tree, which is probably closer to what we would identify with, in a mulberry tree, just to get a glimpse of him. For Jesus was coming through 
on that street. And as Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, I believe Jesus had a big smile on his face, and he saw this man up in this tree. He looked at him, and I believe when he did, Zacchaeus probably nearly fell out of the tree. And then he called him by name, and I know that he had a heart attack. Zacchaeus, come down quickly. For today I must stop at your house. So in haste he came down and with gladness welcomed him. And when they all saw it, that is the crowd of people in Jericho, they began to grumble and say, He has gone in to lodge with a notorious sinner. Then Zacchaeus got up and said to the Lord, Listen, Lord, I now give to the poor half of my property, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay him back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this home, for he too is a real descendant of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the people that are lost. You don't have to die and go into eternity to be lost. We can be lost sitting right here in church. What does the word lost mean? Does it mean to be damned? Does it mean to be condemned? Does it mean to be pushed into outer darkness? No, the word lost just means out of place. Just somebody who's out of place, out of function who's not realizing their full potential. If I lose my watch, it doesn't cease to exist. It doesn't cease to work. It's just no longer of any use to me. We've lost the relationship. So what God wants to do is to not only save us when we die, He wants to be with us and save our living. Right now, to be with us in a living and loving relationship with Him and with one another. Let's look at Zacchaeus for just a moment. I don't need to underline it too much. Let me just say a few words about him. He was a tax collector. Now, what he was, he was a Jew who had sold out to the Romans. He was a traitor. Now, he had made a deal with the Romans, the hated Romans, the invaders, the occupying forces, and here was a tax collector who'd gone to work for the enemies of God's people. And so he was a detested and hated man. He was the Benedict Arnold of the New Testament, along with Judas. He was a traitor. Some of us will remember the term quizzling, which came out of World War II, which meant someone who was a turncoat, who went to work for the enemy, who was a traitor. Quizzling was a very prominent man in Norway a public servant who went to work for the Nazis. And so the word quizzling became a synonym for being a traitor. Well, Zacchaeus was a quizzling. He was a traitor to his own people. And consequently, he was, he was hated. He was rich in money. Rich in money. And maybe for some, that's enough solace to not be upset about 
what they feel about themselves or what others feel about them because of their betrayal of values, principles. may turn out to be financially profitable, but what does it profit a person to gain everything, Jesus said, and lose your own soul? Zacchaeus had money, but he was trying to find his soul. He had no self-esteem. He was a little man, Scripture says, little in stature. I believe that's not only a term to describe him physically. I believe it's also a term that describes his spirit. Little. He's lived for himself so long that his soul has just shriveled up to the limits of his own ego. Well, we use that term. We say to someone, oh, that was a little thing to say. Or we say about ourselves, oh, that was little of me. It's a term that doesn't necessarily describe our physical stature. It can describe our attitude, our spirit, our soul, shriveled, shrunk little. And he was a lonely man. My goodness, was he lonely. No friends. Everybody hated him. Couldn't count his friends. He had a lot of money to count, but he couldn't count his friends. Didn't have any. Lonely. You know, Paul wrote Timothy and said, the love of money is the root of all evil. Unfortunately, that's one of those verses of scripture that gets emasculated sometimes. People says money, say money is the root of all evil. That's not what it says. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Now let me tell you, you don't have to have money to love it. You can be poor as Job's turkey and still be a materialist. In fact, some of the most materialistically minded people I know are anything but wealthy people. The love of money is the root of all evil. Kierkegaard, the philosopher, Danish Christian philosopher, picked up all of that and added a P.S. and he said, loneliness is the root of all evil. Loneliness. Are you lonely? A lot of people are. Some, uh, a few months ago, I was watching 60 Minutes and they had a segment on there about uh, people over 60 or 65 years of age. And they were talking about uh, their problems, their difficulties, their advantages and disadvantages and that sort of thing. And then something was said that just startled me. I could hardly believe it. They said that next to teenagers, one of the number, next to teenagers, people 60 and above had a higher percentage of suicides than any other segment of the population. And they went on to interview and to define and describe why, and the reason over and over was stated was lonely. No meaning. 
No relationships in life. No community. And when I heard that, it just renewed my commitment to ministering to senior adults. I believe one of the largest groups of people in America today for us to be involved in terms of missionary outreach are senior adults. Not because they do not know Christ, because many, most of them probably do know Christ, but they need to know Christ's people. They need to have a new sense of meaning and purpose and fulfillment in their lives. Loneliness is the root of so much evil in the world. But he was also a man who was looking for something. He realized that all he had, money, wasn't everything he needed. And that's a big step. That is a big step. Looking. Walt Whitman, that marvelous poet, wrote, looking westward from California's shore. Now picture that. Here's a person standing in California. The Golden State. Go west, young man. Go west. Millions dead. Now, looking westward from California's shores. That's the name of the poem. And here it says in that poem these words. Where is what we were searching for so very long ago? And why is it yet unfound? Where is what we were searching for so very long ago? And why is it yet unfound? You don't have to stand on California's shores looking westward to have that attitude and that hope and that question. What are you looking for? Pascal said... Whoever looks for God has found him. Whoever looks for God has found him because it was God that placed within the seeker the desire to find God. It was God himself in his divine initiative that planted within us the desire to seek him. Therefore, if you're looking for God, you found him. The seeker is being sought. The hunter is the prey. Climb the tree and look for Jesus because he comes. I think one of the most powerful verses of Scripture in the Bible is that fifth verse, which says, And as Jesus came to the place. We never preach the gospel the way we feel it. I have yet to preach it the way I'd like to preach it. We're fallible, frail human beings. Whether we try to say it or sing it, because I believe the Bible... And I believe the promises of Jesus. I believe that his Holy Spirit is here right now to speak to every one of us, to me, to you, to every one of us. 
And I want to say to you that Jesus has come to the place in your life and my life to meet us today. He's walked right up to the base of your mulberry tree. He's coming. He's come to the place. And he looks right at you. And he smiles. And he calls you by name. He's known your name before you were named. He's got the hairs of your head numbered. He knows about all the stuff that's going on in your life, good and bad. But he says, hurry up, come on now. I want to go home with you today. And he does. And he will. You can have Jesus for lunch today. Do it. And he will do in your life exactly what he did in Zacchaeus's life. You know, something happened here that we don't know about. There's just some blanks in the scripture that are supposed to be there. We don't know what Jesus said to Zacchaeus, and we don't know what Zacchaeus said to Jesus. All we know is that after they went home and had a conversation, Zacchaeus walked outside and just started throwing all of his money away. He said, I'm going to give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anybody, I'm going to pay them back four times over. That was twice what the law required. He just started throwing money around everywhere. Now, I don't know what Jesus said to Zacchaeus and what Zacchaeus said to Jesus. Something happened that completely changed that man's life in one visit because he came down out of his tree and went home with Jesus. And if you and I come down out of our tree of postponement and procrastination or whatever it might be and say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to go home with you. You've invited me. I thought I was looking for you and you were looking for me. You call my name and here I am and I'm going to go home with you today. I tell you what, he'll change your life. He'll change your life. Lloyd Douglas, that marvelous Christian writer, in his novel talking about this event, describes it beautifully because we don't know exactly what happened. But Lloyd Douglas uses his vivid imagination and he says, puts these words in Jesus and Zacchaeus' mouth. Zacchaeus asked the carpenter, what was it that made you want to seek my peace? And Zacchaeus said, Good master, I saw mirrored in your eyes the face of the Zacchaeus I was meant to be. I look into the eyes, the loving, redemptive eyes of this Son of God, and if I look him in the eye, I'll see mirrored there the face of the Buckner Fanning he wants me to see.
no threats, no fear of punishment, no condemnation. He helps us become what we want to be at our best and our finest. Can it happen today? That's a nice story, Buckner, 2,000 years old. But we live in a different day. Back in the 1960s, I was preaching in a, in a revival meeting in Knoxville, Tennessee. We started on Monday night, a rainy Monday night, in the Emmanuel Baptist Church. And the Spirit of God began to work and move in a miraculous way. That meeting began to grow and grow and grow. By Friday night, we couldn't get everybody into the church. We started looking around for a place where we could move the meeting to a larger facility. The people at the University of Tennessee graciously allowed us to use the University of Tennessee gymnasium that seated about eight to 10,000 people in that day. They have a larger one now. And so we moved the revival meeting there and went on for another week, week and a half, another 10 days or more. Eight to 10,000 people a night. Hundreds of people making decisions. It was one of those times when the Spirit of God just moved in a powerful way. It was purely the work of God's Spirit. Well, I was preaching one night, had given the invitation, we were singing the invitation, and a woman, and the reason I know this is because of what happened, and I'll come back and tell you that in a moment, a woman seated on, seated on an aisle that corresponds with, it, with this aisle over here, about halfway back, was seated on the aisle there. Uh, now, I didn't even know anything about her until the events that transpired uh, in a moment that I'll tell you about took place. Her son, as I found out later, had taken her, brought her to the revival meeting and said to her, I don't want to go to that thing. It's just a bunch of hype and emotionalism. I don't want to go to that. I'm going, I'm going to go to a movie, and I'll come back and pick you up after the meeting's over. Well, we were giving the invitation. Dozens of people were coming, making decisions. And all of a sudden, there was this commotion over there on the aisle, and this woman, what I, when I first looked, I thought she'd fainted because people had started gathering around her. But what had happened is she had just fallen into a chair and started weeping. And what had happened was this. Her son, who had gone to the movie, had come to pick her up. And the meeting was still going on, and so he just double-parked outside the gymnasium and came in to stand at the back door until it was over and get his mother and go home. He didn't hear the sermon, didn't hear anything I said, didn't hear any of the music or the testimony. But Jesus walked up to his tree and he came walking down that aisle to make a profession of faith in the Lord and walked right past his mother who thought he was at the theater. Another Zacchaeus. A number of years ago, I was preaching in a country church out in East Texas. We filled the building. It would hold about 200, maybe 300. After the service, we didn't have any decisions in the service that night. Stood around outside, everybody around their cars and pickup trucks visiting, like we often do after church, people talking and visiting. Standing around visiting out there, and uh, a, a truck came driving up, pickup truck came up, and 
man got out and walked over to me and he said, uh, said, Preacher, is it too late to accept Jesus? I said, Sir, it's never too late to accept Jesus. Do you want to do it? He said, Yes, sir. I want to right now. I said, Wonderful. We called everybody back in who was there. We still had about 100 people out there. Everybody came in. I said, Sir, just stand right out there in the in the, in the foyer, man, stand there with you. We'll get everybody back in. We cranked up the invitation hymn again. And as it would happen, his mother, now this was not a big church. It only had one center aisle and then an outside aisle on either side. His mother was seated on about the fourth or fifth row. She didn't know who it was. She was seated there. I didn't know who it was. We started singing. This big man, 35, 40 years of age, Walked down the aisle to make his profession of faith public. And that woman, seated there on about the fourth or fifth row, right on the aisle, looked up and saw her son. Now, I need to tell you what happened. Don't let it frighten you, because when it's of God, it doesn't frighten you. There was nothing artificial about it. There was nothing phony about it. No artificial spontaneity. No exhibitionism involved in it at all. Just holiness and happiness. That mother got up, an elderly woman, got up and came down this aisle, went up that outside aisle, around the church, was coming back around, around, just clapping her hands and saying, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Mother Zacchaeus got out of the tree. Went home with Jesus. It happened right here in this room. In fact, it happened again in the early service. Let me tell you about a couple, three weeks ago. A woman who'd been living at Alpha Home, trying to sober up for a number of weeks. Now, for those of you who don't know what Alpha Home is, this church began a ministry to women alcoholics 30, nearly 30 years ago now. And at the opposite end of the parking lot out there, is Alpha Home. And hundreds and hundreds of women have been there and found sobriety and health and spiritual life and have found the Lord and their lives have been saved and made different. They come from all walks of life. Well, this woman was having a hard time just getting in control of herself at all. Had never been in church. Hear me, never been in church. She was sitting out there on the little patio in the back and she could see the church, you know, not even a block away. She could see the building over here. And she said every day when she was seated out there at that patio, a dove would fly over from the church and would land there and just walk around there on the patio. And she said very few birds would do that because they had cats over there and they'd chase the birds away. And they'd caught some of them, unfortunately. But she said the cats never bothered this dove. That dove would just walk around there a while and then it would fly right back over toward the church. She said that happened day after day after day. She said, I finally thought maybe I'm supposed to go over to that church. She came one Sunday morning with 9.15 service. I didn't know, of course. And it was a Sunday when we had the cross here, the black cross from the burned church in Oklahoma. And I talked about how God needed to forgive the people who would burn churches and forgive us of hate. 
to forgive us of burning people with bad, critical, vindictive language and how God needs to change our attitudes so that we won't be having burned churches or burned hearts or whatever it might be. And I've talked about some of the things God needs to forgive us of that can cause hurt and harm in other people's lives. And I use the term alcoholism. And when I use that term, she said she just bowed her head in shame, just head fell on her chest. And she said she heard a voice say and called her name, which I'll not call. And I have her permission to be telling you this story. I'll not call her name. Someone said, called her name, hold up your head. And she looked at the woman seated to her left and said, did you say something? She said, no. She looked at the woman at the right who'd come with her from out home and said, did you say something? She said, no, I didn't. I was asleep. I'm bored. Let's go. <laughs> but this woman said, I knew that was God talking to me. Hold your head up. First time she had ever in her life been in church. The next, I accidentally met her out here. I didn't know it at the time. I went to get a drink of water between the services. And she came out and came over. We shook hands. I said, I'm so glad you're here. I hope you come back. She was back the next Sunday. And the invitation was given. She walked down this aisle and made a profession of faith in the Lord as Savior. Last Sunday night, baptized her as a testimony of what Christ had done in her heart and life. And I have never, I, I don't believe I have ever seen a smile on a person's face like the smile on that woman's face. Friends, it's still being written. Zacchaeus is still walking up to the base of the tree and saying, calling you by name, come on down. Let's go home together. Why don't you do it right now? Start right now. Let's stand. Let's sing. You come.